Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team in. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Hey, I'm Andy Holmes. I'm the host of The Goat Guide, a training ground for salespeople to go from good to great to goat. Last name ever. First name greatest, like a sprained ankle, boy, ain't nothing to play with. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 5 of The Goat Guide. As you can tell, I figured out how to use the soundboard, so if I do any terrible sound edits, don't be too mad at me. <laughs> I'll probably edit some of these out. Anyways, today we've got Chris Miles, co-host of The Goat Guide, in the booth with me. Chris has been in door-to-door sales for nine, going on 10 years now. He's been high school state champion in basketball, then won multiple championships in college, and then played professional basketball overseas. Chris is the corporate trainer here at 212, and he's amazing. Chris, thank you for hopping on today. Maybe give me one or two things that most people don't know about you. Um, in high school, I was Gatorade player of the year, two times. I was state MVP, was state tournament. I was state MVP twice. Uh, I was state tournament MVP, um, state defensive MVP. And I was a McDonald's all American and I was ranked as high as top 50 in the nation out of high school. Wow. So there's, there's my high school accolades. Yeah. That's just high school. I know you were good in college and also playing professional basketball overseas. You chose to go to BYU. You had different offers. You could have gone to other schools. Why did you choose BYU? So my junior year of high school, summer after my junior year of high school, we had just won state, and that's where I won Gatorade Player of the Year, state tournament MVP, state defensive MVP, and state MVP. And... So a lot of doors open for me. I got invited to the three most prestigious basketball camps in the United States for high schoolers, the ABCD camp, which is the Adidas camp, Nike camp. And I got invited to the NBA player top 100 camp, which at the time you could get drafted straight to the NBA. And so the, the NBA high school top 100 camp served as the NBA combine for high school players. So all of the things that you do in the NBA combine, it's, it's an exact match. It runs an exact parallel. And so I, I, I got invited to all these camps and there was a guy that played for BYU at the time named Travis Hansen, and he was projected to be a first round pick and he played at BYU. And I was friends with Trav because I had played pickup ball with him, um, at BYU for, for a couple of years at this point. And I kept running into him at different airports while he's flying to do NBA workouts. And I'm flying to like some different basketball camps and basketball tournaments and stuff like that. And I ran into him at an airport. I, I stopped him and I'm like, dude, Trav, how you been, man? Like, how's all your NBA stuff going? And he's like, it's going good, kid. How you doing? You know, and he's like asking me about my camps that I'm going to. And we're just we're, we're, we're talking for a minute. And I'm like, dude, Trav, you're going to get drafted. You're projected to go in the first round why did you choose BYU? And one of his big things was if I'm a, a big fish in a huge, huge, huge pond, then, you know, how much am I going to get noticed? But if I'm a huge fish in a medium sized pond, you know, obviously the metaphor we're talking about BYU, it's not the biggest school. It's a mid major. It's a very respectable school. It's a great school. Um, but in terms of their history, there's no, there's no national championship title hanging in the Marriott Center. And unlike a UCLA, who I think UCLA has like 10 or 12 or 15, I don't know exactly how many national championship banners that they have, but there's these, these huge, huge, huge programs. So going to one of those schools, it might've been good because you could have gotten to experience that program, but you couldn't truly shine because everybody on those teams and in those programs are super good. Like what, what's better? Would it be better to ride the bench for your first three years and then play as a senior? Or would it be better to play for a worse team and just play all four years and develop more as a player? Cause you didn't want to be done after college. Right. I wanted to play professional basketball. And, um, it's funny that I'm even sharing this because 
when he was telling me this, I'm like, well, well, what if I can be the biggest fish in the biggest pond? What if I go to one of these, one of these huge schools that has won multiple championships and national championships? And you know, what if I can shine there? It's only going to make me look even better. And so that actually almost made that almost turned me away from BYU when it came right down to it. I wanted a lot of structure for my life and I felt like BYU offered that. And I wanted my parents to be able to come watch my games in person, share that experience. And so I'm like, you know what, if I can do it, I can do it anywhere. And, uh, and so, yeah, I ended up going to BYU and seeing seeing what we could do there. How good was the team? Um, my freshman year, we had three seniors one of them started his career as a walk-on and we had one junior and the rest of us were freshmen and sophomore. We were a very young team. And to me, I saw it as a huge opportunity. And it's funny because a lot of people, when they see me and they're like, Chris, you're, you're six eleven. Like, obviously you played basketball. It was probably easy. The reality is it, like almost every division one college basketball team has, you know, four or five Chris miles four or five people that are, 6'11 and 240 pounds. Realistically, at the college level, I'm a diamond, doesn't it? Nothing was a given, that's for sure. And uh, going to BYU, I, I had high expectations for how good we were going to be. Really, really hoped that we were going to be an amazing team. And it was a very eye opening year. We went 9 and 21. It was one of the worst seasons that BYU had ever had. I ended up starting about half the games that season as a freshman, which turned into a, a huge opportunity, a huge blessing for me. And so. We, we lost, we lost something like 14 or 15 games that season by a total of 17 or 18 points. So we were like almost good, but you know, as much potential as we had and as close as we were to having a winning season, there were so many bad habits that we had that were out of my control. And one of those, one of those habits was how we used our time. And normally we think that, you know, the more, the more time I spend at something, the better I'm going to get just by automatically putting in more time, I'm going to wind up being better. It's not the case, right? Like don't mistake movement for achievement. But I mean, I just think I'm one full semester away from graduating college, but I've learned way more just through books and through podcasts and through different experiences than I've learned in my 15, 20 years worth of schooling. So it's not about how much time it's about your intention with that time and the quality of your time. Absolutely. So my freshman year at BYU, our practices average anywhere between about four and five and a half hours long. That is a really long college basketball practice. Way too much time in the gym was wasted. And just being in the gym doesn't guarantee any sort of results at all, right? Way too much standing around. And when you're standing around, when you should be working, when you should be doing drills, when you should have your heart rate up and you're standing around and talking about theory, it's like, this is, this is backwards. The coaching staff should have had everything prepared and packaged before practice started. We should have had a, a film session every single day. My freshman year, we only had film like a couple times a month. Yeah. So your first year as a freshman, you, your the team wasn't good. There were a lot of really bad habits. I already know the spoiler you ended up being really good. What changed? Was it a was it a coaching switch? Was it just getting out more of the bad Apple players? Like, yeah. So there are a couple of things. We had a we had a coaching switch, and practices went from five and a half hours to two hours, two and a half hours max. Never practiced shorter than two hours. Never practiced longer than two and a half. Every second of the practice was organized, it was planned, it was prepared. There was no wasted time, right? As far as doors go, there was no time sitting in the car that could have been spent knocking doors, right? Area um, was area was figured out beforehand. You had your lunch packed. Everyone had gone to the bathroom, brushed their teeth, already gotten dressed for the day. We had to be dress tape, ready to go, 10 minutes before film session started. Film was immediately before practice, so it was impossible to be late to practice. Uh, if you were late to film, you had conditioning. You had to get up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. and go run on a vertical on a on an incline treadmill with the the strength and conditioning coach. And just no one did it right. Like culturally, it was unacceptable. And as far as you know, the way that that our coach was with us, everybody was like terrified of being late, right? And and we wanted to win more than anything. 
And it's funny. One of the, one of the biggest changes was the coach, um, coach Rose, Dave Rose. So coming off a nine and 21 season, he comes in and he's like, guys, our goal next season was we're going to win the conference championship. And it's like, coach, we, we sucked. Like we didn't have a great year. We were nine and 21. He's like, I don't care. It is what it is. If you, if you don't want to shoot for this, you need to leave the program. Um, and so just standards completely changed. So sorry, I don't want to move on from that because he comes in and your team was nine and 21 the year before. And he says, if you're not bought into going for something way bigger, like going for the championship, then you need off the team. How did he actually make that happen with you guys? Because I feel like so oftentimes in this job, Chris, reps come in and they say, hey, this is my year. I'm going to double. I'm going to be a top dog. I've heard people say, why not me? I've heard, I've listened to all the podcasts. They like the thought of going for it, but then when they actually get there, they don't make it happen. So when he just walks in and says, hey, we're going for a championship, was it just a lot of mumbling and grumbling? Like, there's no way? Or... I think there's a few raised eyebrows, but at the same time, I think everybody's like, yeah, this is what we want. We want a high standard. We we're all here because we were winners at the high school level. And so, you know, there's a few raised eyebrows, like, can we really get there in one year? But unanimously, this is something that we all wanted and that we all believed in. We all believed was possible. Um, I actually took off on a, on a two year LDS mission at that time and came back after my two years. But the team took second place in the league that year. They were, they were one or two wins away from winning a conference championship um, and literally went from second to last to second to first. And then one more year later and boom, we win the conference championship and, and BYU's back on top. So what changes were made that actually helped you guys get there? We had two coaches on our coaching staff that they know what it takes to, to win and to get to play at that level and perform at that level. And the two of them just would not make any exceptions to the standards or the inputs that were going to lead to the results that we wanted. Right. And so um, instead of having film like once once a week, there was a film session where we reviewed film every single day before practice without question, without fail. Also, without question, without fail, you had to be dressed, taped, ready to go, ready for practice before you come into the film room. So there's no wasted time between film and stepping out onto the floor. Step out onto the floor. Our strength and conditioning coach takes us through stretches, gets us warmed up, um, and then the clock starts. And we literally would start practice with the most intense drill of the entire practice. Like the goal was to practice almost twice as fast as the, the actual pace of a real game. And some of the drills that we did were structured that way. And you think like you can't play twice as fast as you're playing in a real game. It's like, it felt like it, it was that intense. We didn't waste any time there. There was no scheduled drink breaks. You had to, you had to get a drink while a different group was like going or going through a drill or something. Sounds like everything that you guys were doing was very intentional. It wasn't watching film every now and then like you did your freshman year. It was, we always watch film. You know, with sales reps who are trying, who are starting the summer and trying to make sure that they can have a championship winning team, don't watch film sporadically, don't train sporadically, schedule it, make it a habit so that way you just win. Because if you, if you only wait to watch film when you have a, a big game coming up, or if you just had a bad game, then... It's not nearly as effective. You have to, you in the summer, you have to go to bed at the same time every night, get about the same amount of sleep every single night. This is, this is a marathon, right? Like a basketball season is long. It can be six months long. And so you want to wake up every single day, not burnt out, well rested. And sure, you're going to have to, you're going to have to warm up. You're going to have to go through your, your stretching routine. You're going to have to go through a morning routine to get yourself prepped and ready to go. Um, but you have to do it every single day. Right. And so, you know, wake up, do your cold shower, go for a run, go to the gym, do your workout. One thing I would say, especially during the summertime, don't overdo it. You're trying to set yourself up so that way you can have the most productive working day. Like the reason 
that you guys would practice so hard is so that way come game time, you could thrive, right? Absolutely. So you don't want to go on a four hour run. Personally, dude, I don't really work out during the summer. Why? Because I'm working, I'm training, I'm doing all these things that like, that is one thing that I, I personally could be better at, but I, I realize that for me, I need that little bit of extra sleep or I need that time to, to meditate. The point is you don't have to copy somebody else's schedule per se. It's more about just figuring out what those things are that you can do to get your stretching in, to get your, your training and get all taped up. So that way, once you get out there, you can perform at a high level because I know that you guys weren't sluggish out there your freshman year, maybe, but on the last podcast that we were on together, you mentioned that you guys would know within the first 30 seconds that you guys deserved to win each game. Yeah. One of the points that I, I kind of want to make and want to bring up and draw in this contrast between my, my freshman year and then the, the following seasons is that when you're wasting time, your body recognizes it and your brain recognizes it. And when you're wasting time, you're no longer in alignment with yourself. And one of the biggest differences, and I've been teaching this in basketball. I I learned this lesson in basketball. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that you go into basketball practice and you give yourself 50%, 60%, 70% effort. It's miserable. You're not having fun because you realize that you could be doing more. Something's missing. I just think back to the most impactful points of my life. And typically the, the things that were most worth it were the things that were the most difficult and the things that I had to try the hardest with, right? And it just kind of makes me think like, what's the purpose of, of going to practice? Was it to check in? Was it a class where you only had to mark attendance? Or are you actually going to, to learn? You know, are you actually going to to get better, right? Like so often reps go out and they quote unquote work for the whole day, but it's like, what was your intention there? Like, was it just because you had to go out and work, but what was more important to you was a long lunch, going to the, going to the gas station, sitting on the curb, texting your girlfriend, like what's the whole reason for you going out and knocking? Because you can go to the gym for three, four hours and not get a good workout. But you can also go to the gym for 30 minutes and have one of the most difficult workouts of your life. Absolutely. As soon as you give yourself that last 1% and you catch fire and it's like now, now what was hard, what was miserable, now it's fun. And so giving that, giving that final percent, you're enjoying it way more. And it's like those days that you're talking about, like the, the, the day that it was pouring down rain and you jumped in the puddle with both feet and filled up your shoes with water to just be like, I'm all in you. You didn't hold anything back. You give a hundred percent. You're in complete, perfect alignment with yourself. And as a result, you have one of the best selling days of your entire life, of your entire career. And it's a day that you will always look back on fondly, right? Like you're going to look back and, and that's a great day. It's a huge day. Yeah. And the reason I was able to go so hard on that day is because there was a meaning behind it. There was a purpose behind it. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going to go make a chunk of change. Or it wasn't, hey, you know what? I've got three months, four months of this. Like, what's one day going to matter? Like, I was very intentional on that day. And so I think that that's really applicable about just making sure that you're being intentional to maximize your time, whether it's in practice, whether it's in games, whether it's training or being on the doors, you know what I'm saying? And I know one thing that really helped you in basketball was going from your freshman year to your sophomore year, the team made a lot of changes, like with the coaching change that you guys had, you guys set up the schedule. So that way it was intentional for you guys to win. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And it's the exact same thing. If you plan to win, you just win. What were some of the things that you guys changed from your freshman year to your sophomore year to make the schedule that much better, get more out of it? And at the end of the day, you guys had a lot more fun because of it. Yeah. So film every single day. Film was non-negotiable. 
It was an every single day thing. We had to watch ourselves and work on ourselves. So, you know, at the end of every single day out on the doors, you should be taking notes on the doors of responses that you're getting from customers, the ways that you're getting rejected, the deals that you, the appointments that you almost set, but didn't turn into an appointment. You need to be writing down like what responses you were getting and where you failed. And then you need to train on those things at night. That's the equivalent of your, of your film session. And it's, it's super important to write it down. Like for any new reps, don't think that you're going to remember at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're tired or the next morning, like you just don't remember quite as vividly. Just open up your notes and write down what the customer said or what question keeps getting asked that you don't have a good response to, right? Because you watch film, you figure out what you're doing wrong. And all of a sudden you guys, you can improve it, right? Or you study the opponent. And if you study your customer or the people that you're knocking into and how they're responding, then all of a sudden you set yourself up so you can have a better plan of attack. Absolutely. And you're going to have, you're going to have way more success. Um, it's so natural in life to want to focus on our strengths and hide our weaknesses and it sales is no different, right? Like we, we have to remain open-minded about what our weaknesses are and, and constantly be trying to improve. Uh, I was listening to, to, uh, Andrew Huberman, one of the top neuroscientists in the world. And he's like, it's very difficult to remember things. How many classes have we gone to in our lives at school? but we can't recall anything from that particular class. It's because our brain is constantly trying to shave off the, the memories and the things that we learn and the things that we experience that the brain thinks aren't important. And so then we have to just constantly work to, to restudy and remember the things that, that are important and the things that we do need. I'm going into my third summer with 212, right? With Aptive Solar. And, you know, most of our top performing reps had a point in the middle of the summer or even sometimes a little later in the summer where they would run into a wall and they weren't sure like, Hey, I don't, I don't know why I'm not performing as good right now. And it's like, dude, yeah, the brain shaves things off thinking that you don't need it, but you do. Yeah. It's making sure that you're staying sharp. Once again, write things down outside of watching film. What other things did you guys change to, to create such a, a massive difference from one of the worst teams in the school's history to one of the best teams in the school's history. So every minute of practice was scheduled. The coaching staff would have a schedule for what we were going to, what we were going to be doing, what drills we were going to be doing for it written down on a, on a piece of paper or printed out on a piece of paper. And that was our schedule for the day. Every single practice, every single day was scheduled and therefore, every single minute was accounted for. So we didn't waste any time, but also we were very, very intentional about how we spent every single minute that we were in the gym during that. It was the designated practice time. So you said that every minute was accounted for in practice, right? And a lot of people would say, yeah, my team leader needs to come up with this, these amazing trainings and they need to be on their ball. Like, Chris, you had a really good coach. And so therefore, you guys were able to win. Maybe my coach isn't as good or as on point. But what's interesting is every person is kind of their own coach in a sense, like once they're out there on the doors for themselves, right? Because they can plan ahead and think about what the things that they need to do are like before they actually get out there. So that way they're not just reacting and figuring things out as they go. Yeah. So you actually, you actually hit a point that's really, really important. And in all of my years of coaching basketball, one of the, one of the kind of cornerstone principles that I would teach to my clients is that you need to start coaching yourself. You need to start talking to yourself, right? If, if you were coaching somebody else, what advice would you give them? And you need to make sure you're following your, you know, your own advice that you would give yourself. The reason that I say that is because we don't necessarily always think about it, but we talk, we have self-talk happening in our head at all times, right? Um, yeah, I could push a little bit harder. I could dig a little bit deeper. Oh, I'm kind of tired, whatever. There's self-talk that's happening at all time. And if, you, if you're not aware of the fact that you're talking to yourself, then you're not necessarily in control of it. So that's one of the first things that I would say. In order to get into alignment with yourself where you can, you can reach peak performance, you have, to, you have to take control of your self-talk. So that's absolutely huge. Back to time management, something that I've implemented on the doors, and this literally was a game changer for me. This, this, this changed my sales career. 
um, where I, I started taking accountability for every minute. And the way that I would do it is by resetting at the top of the clock. What do you mean by resetting at the top of the clock? Yeah. So um, at the top of each hour, what I tell myself in my head is like, okay, I have one hour to make a sale. I have one hour to schedule an appointment and get a bill, right? And by telling myself that, whatever happened in the previous hour or the previous hours no longer matters. And I'm hyper-focused on that one hour. And so now I'm on a treasure hunt to go find somebody that's willing to talk to me, somebody that's willing to treat me like a human being, somebody that's willing to like be open-minded and listen because you know, it's like Jordan Belfort talks about how you're, you can't sell everyone, right? Some people they're, they're having a bad day. Some people are preoccupied with some, with something else and you're not supposed to sell them on their bad day. You got to wait till you catch them on a good day, right? Like that's just the nature of sales. And so you're, you're not trying to sell every single person on every door. You're pitching every person, you're hitting every door, but you're filtering through your candidates while you're doing it. You're filtering through your candidates while you're knocking and ultimately you're looking for actual prospects. Yeah, and well, what I love about that is because the homeowners that you're talking to this next hour, they don't know that how many sets you got last hour or the hour before, or that you haven't gotten any for three or four hours or a day or two. They really don't know, so therefore, why are you gonna let your previous failures or successes dictate, right. dictate that door you're on right now? and I think like, I mean, in basketball, what were some, what were some stats that, that your team focused on? A lot of teams say, Hey, we need to keep it under this many turnovers, or we need this many possessions a game, this many rebounds. What were the things that you guys would focus on in basketball? And then what are the things that we can focus on, on the doors? Our, one of, one of our goals was actually, we wanted to score at least 80 points a game and we wanted to hold our opponents to under 60 points a game which is a, a, a 20 point margin of victory. That's pretty healthy, pretty safe, pretty comfortable. Um, not super easy to do unless you're being very intentional about it. What's funny is gosh, probably 60, 70% of the games. That was probably the spread. We, we probably won, uh, especially by my senior year. We probably won most of the games. Now you play a, a highly ranked team and it's, it's slightly different, yeah, right? Yeah. Blowing up, blowing out a highly ranked team by 20 is very difficult. Yeah. What were some but, of the things that you guys, like what were some of the micro focuses on? Because yeah, the big think, goal was win by 20. I think we were trying to keep our, our turnovers under five, like under 10 turnovers a game, something like that. A big part of it was, um, this, this is funny, this is very controllable, is we had a, a goal, a micro goal of we, each player on the team, it was their job to beat their opponent down the floor every possession. And if you if if all five guys are doing it, you're going to get a handful of fast break points from layups just because you know maybe somebody um fell going for a rebound on the last play. Now you got 5 on 4 on the other end. And um and so if you do that on the offensive end, you're going to get you're going to get some layups every game. You're going to get some easy buckets that are going to contribute to that 20 point margin of victory. And then on the defensive end, if you beat your, your opponent, if all five guys beat their opponent down the floor, every single possession, um, now they're at a dif- disadvantage to try and get fast break points. Cause now they're playing four on five, right? Cause they're not thinking that way and your whole team's back and ready to play defense and get a stop. And they're still trying to come up the floor. And so, um, so they can never catch you off guard. So those are some little things that we did that contributed to, you know, to winning, <laughs> by by our goal of 20 points most of the games that we played well yeah and to win by that much you guys kind of like how you mentioned you had to be very intentional about it like you had to have all these small little controllable things that you got that you could focus on that just happened to put you in a position to have these easy opportunities right? right and so on the doors what are some of those ways that we can make sure that we're the first one down the court so that way we can just get those extra easy points easy layups yeah well, if there's a hundred possessions in a game and you don't take any off and your opponent takes 15 off, you have a huge advantage, right? Yeah. yeah. If one guy on the other team is only going 80% of their capacity on that possession, you now have an advantage if your whole team is going at hundred percent capacity on that, on that possession. And so if your team does it every single possession of every single 
you know, every single possession of the game, every single game, you have the advantages that you have add up, right? Well, what I would say, and, and where this translates on the doors is you have to come into each door with intentionality. You have to, you have to approach each door the same, but not only do you have to approach each door the same, you have to be alignment with yourself on each door. And what I mean by that is, so if you have all day, right, you're going to knock 10 hours, you're going to knock 12 hours, right? How, however, however many hours you're scheduled to knock that day for your team schedule. If you're, if you're saying to yourself, man, I've got all day. I don't have a lot of pressure. This is great. I have all day. I'm for sure going to have some success today. I have all day. If your approach is that way, part of your brain is pushing yourself to knock. And part of you is trying to soothe yourself saying, I have all day. You knock on a door. You don't have to get it. You don't have to win because half of you is, is, is out of alignment with your goal saying like, no, I got all day. Like it's fine. If they tell me no, it's fine. Right. Yeah. Have you ever tried to go left and right at the same time? It doesn't, it doesn't, you don't end up not getting either. Right. If you try to work hard and take it easy at the same time, or you try to work the job, but also, you know, be laxatasical and not focused on it, you end up not getting the comfort of rest and relaxation, but you also don't get the benefits of working. Right? Absolutely. And, and it's funny because this snowballs, right? So if you have this mindset of like, oh, I have all day, I have all day. I don't, I don't have to give everything I have every second on the doors. Cause that's an exhausting idea. That's kind of overwhelming, right? If that's your, if that's your approach, you're like, no, nah, I, I got all day. I, I like, I have to be able to soothe myself and tell myself that I have time. What's going to happen is you go home at night and you know that you left, you, you left room for improvement out there. You realize you didn't give yourself everything that you had. And now you're going to bed with regret and that's regrets worse than failure. Yeah. Right? Regret is way worse than failure. One thing that Tanner and I talked about was just kind of like the regrets of omission most of the time, the things that we regret, I'd say 80%, 90% of the time, it's not things that we did wrong, but it's things that we just didn't do. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it makes me think of this quote. Um, I don't remember who said it, but it's the quote goes, he who does nothing is powerless and or feels powerless. I don't remember if it's is powerless or feels powerless, but it's kind of that same thing. Like, Reps who, let's say a rep, a rep was to fake sick one day, not that it ever has happened, but like hypothetically, if a, if a rep doesn't give their all, they can feel it afterwards. Like what's the worst feeling in this job? It's driving home without any success on the day. And it's because of your own doing. Because you didn't try. Exactly. You, you didn't try as hard as you could have. You weren't as intentional your mind wasn't totally in it, even though your body was, maybe your body was there, but you're, again, it's like, what I love focusing on is, is getting into alignment with yourself, having full intentionality, full sense of purpose, because it can be a difficult thing to do, right? Like it's something that has to be addressed because it's so natural, right? That self-talk is so natural. And so, um, anyone, I don't care who you are, anyone can give themselves they're very, very, very best for one hour. And so I break my days down into one hour increments at a time. At the top of the hour, as soon as the minute hand hits 12, or as soon as the digital hits, you know, says, says 12, then a new hour starts for me, a new treasure hunt starts for me. And I'm, I'm on the hunt and I'm looking for a homeowner that's willing to give me a copy of their bill and learn a little bit more information and sit down. I'm on a hunt for that. And what's cool about this approach is now, instead of dreading how much time you have to spend on the doors, now you're, you're like clinging to every minute that you have because you're on a treasure hunt. And it's funny, your brain will start to shift where you want more time because you want to make sure that you find some treasure before the top of the hour hits. And it completely shifts the experience. Um, it, it, and it, it, you, you could say, well, it doesn't like the same amount of times going by. And I, it's like, well, that's not, it's not true. Right. It's like, you know, when a train's approaching you and the horn makes a sound. And then when the train passes you, the pitch sounds different. It's the same sound coming from the same train, but your perspective, right? If, if, if the horn is coming at you while the speed of the train is also coming at you, then the train is speeding up that those sound waves. So it's, it's literally affecting you and hitting you differently, which is why your perception is different. 
So you can literally bend time. You can alter how you experience time by shifting instead of dreading how much time you have. Like, oh man, I got five more hours of this to, dude, I need another minute. I need more time, right? And it completely shifts your experience with time. And all of a sudden, time is going faster. You're having more fun knocking than you've ever had in your life. And you're having more success because now you're in alignment with yourself. Instead of saying, I have all day to knock. I have all day to knock, so there's no pressure on this door. I have all day to knock. Now every single door, you're like, dude, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find that nice person that's got a bill for me and is willing to sit down. It completely changes your experience. And, and it's funny. So when reps are like, dude, I still don't get it. What I, always, what I always revert back to is I say, okay, cool. So you know at the end of the day when you're telling yourself, you're like, shoot, I've been knocking for four hours. I haven't really been giving it everything I have. I've only got an hour hour and a half, two hours left. I have to get one. That moment where you start saying to yourself in your self-talk, I have to get one. That's usually when you do, right? You find alignment with yourself. And so as far as utilizing every single minute and really following a schedule, the top of the hour is super critical. You got to jump off the cliff at the top of of every single hour. No putting it off. You're going to experience time differently. And, and using that, now you're, you're literally, you're, you're not going to waste minutes anymore and you're actually going to have more fun and more energy than you, than you've ever had knocking doors before. So Chris, let's say that I'm that rep who takes your advice and says top of every hour, going to go try to find a bill. I'm being positive. I'm training and I'm getting smoked. I had a, a couple hard days or a couple hard streets, like whatever it is. How do you rebound back from that after having a hard little bit? So I've got a I've got this genius brother, right, that works in an R&D firm. He's got like 60 patents or something, really smart guy. And I learned something from th- something interesting from working with him. I actually worked with him on his business for a couple of years and and helped him sell his product and build his business and have the time of my life doing it. Um but so my brother's an engineer. And engineers do something funny. Engineers they like they don't fail because everything's a test, right? They, they kind of like don't fail because right now we're just, we're just testing. We're just testing to see how this goes. And if it fails, then I'm going to do a different test. I'm going to try, I'm going to try something different until I find something that succeeds. What I would say is that if you're, if you're training from the right sources, right? If you're, if you're training and you're studying the right training materials, you're mimicking, right? And so you're, you're, you're implementing, you're putting into practice um, pitching a, a specific way and, and learning from, from the best. If you put the time in permanent failure, isn't possible, right? Like the, the difference, the difference between somebody who is making half a million dollars a year at this job, the difference between someone who's making a million dollars a year at this job, the, the difference between somebody making 10, $15,000 a year at this job and they quit it will always trace back to their self-talk. 100% of the time, it will trace back to their self-talk. In the hard times, Andy, you dug deep and you told yourself, I can do this. I can figure it out. And you kept training and you kept applying the principles that brought other people success and you believed if it works for them, it can work for me. Somebody else took a different route. Their self-talk was... I'm not cut out for this. I don't have what it takes. I don't like this. I don't want to do this. You can literally trace back the amount of somebody makes to their self-talk. Yeah, that is, I've never really, I've never traced back somebody's self-talk to how much they make, but that, that does make 100% sense. Um, One thing that I was thinking about earlier, I didn't comment on it, but I wrote it down and I just barely remembered it was you saying to to be focused in the moment like you're focused on each and every individual door and i mean you obviously being a basketball player like it makes me think back to the goat michael jordan and in his documentary the last dance they talk about how michael's superpower was always being present like he was gambling with his the his security um, right before a championship game, you know, everyone else is nervous butterflies. And he's like, that won't help me. 
Yeah. So, so, so think about the principle that we've been, that we've been talking about being in alignment with yourself, right? Being, being hyper-focused and being intentional. If you're listening to music or watching a movie or distracting yourself before a game, as soon as the ball gets tipped up, you've now got to shift from being entertained to being in a, in a competitive mindset, right? And so your body is there, but your mind is now catching up. And so for Michael Jordan, if he's, if he's, you know, throwing quarters or whatever in the locker room and he's betting and he's competing, he doesn't have to make any adjustments when he comes out on the floor. He's already in a competitive mindset. He's been competing. He's already upset. The best thing that could happen is maybe he just lost a game and now he's more upset, more pissed off, more determined to win the next thing that he does. It's all, it's about being in alignment with yourself. It's about not having to shift gears, not having to have your mind catch up to where your body is. Cause that's where we find ourselves a lot on the doors. Right. And so the, one of the biggest things that I think is most important for, for any rep to understand is you need to be determined to disrupt the status quo. Be, be happy, but never be content. You want to always be getting better and striving for it. And if you're striving to get better and improve on a daily basis, to make more money, to be more successful, to have more fun on the doors, if you're determined to do those things, they will happen. When you say striving for it, going for it, it makes me think about all the times when on the doors or before I got on the doors, I would psych myself out and I would stress out about not performing that day. And at the end of the day, I think you really do just have to go for it. Like it's more enjoyable to just go balls to the wall. And even if you miss, like that's okay. Deal with it then. Mason Bodie told me this story one time about a, about one of his pest reps that was averaging, you know, 10, 15 pest sales a day. And he had a day where he only sold like four accounts or something. So Mason calls him and he's like, Hey, like what happened today? He's like, Oh dude, I had a good day. You only sold four. He's like, I did all the right things. I'm not dissatisfied. Dude, it all balances out. I'm gonna stay in the middle. It's fine. Yeah. And what, what good does stressing out about that four day do? What good does thinking about, oh, I hope I don't miss this buzzer beater shot do for Michael Jordan? It doesn't matter. It's like if you're giving your full maximum effort, then you're going to get your full maximum result. If you're giving your top effort, you will get your top result. And maybe that day it was four, but he couldn't have gotten more than four because he gave his max effort. It's going to, it's going to average out. Yeah. It's going to average out and it's fine. And you, you hit, you hit the nail on the head where like, how cool is it that, that a rep was so, he was so in tune with himself and he was such a good coach to himself that he stayed in flow state, even though he was underperforming for his averages on a day, it did not take him out of flow state, right? The worst thing in a, in a basketball game, the worst thing that can happen is you miss a shot and now you're upset with yourself. And so now on the other end, you go down and you commit a foul and they, they get a basket, they get the end one, they go to the free throw line. Maybe you commit a really hard foul where they score the basket. They get the, they, they get the bucket, they shoot the free throw, they get the ball back, they score again. And you literally in, in one full possession made a seven or eight point negative difference for your team because, because you didn't stay, you didn't stay in flow state, right? You, you didn't stay in alignment with the best practices that are going to serve you the best. Right. And I think that's one of the things that it's really hard for us to see in life, but it's, it can be really easy, especially to a trained eye to see in a game where, you know, a player makes one mistake on one end and they make another mistake on the other. And it's like, dude, that guy just cost you five points in 20 seconds. That's a big deal in a basketball game. Yeah. Oftentimes the difference between, between winning and losing Chris, one last question for you before we hop off. What would you guys try to do at the beginning of, of games? At the beginning of a game, were you guys taking it easy? Were you getting a feel for your... It's funny. We literally did this exact thing that I'm talking about where it's like every hour to me is a day. It's like I only have one hour. I have to go get an appointment right now. I only have an hour to do it. And then the second that that, that hour is over, it starts over. We literally did the exact same thing. So there's a TV timeout four minutes into the game. Okay. Every single game, there's a TV timeout four minutes into the game. We can't control it. 
It's the it's the media timeout. It's literally scheduled. The first timeout of the game is scheduled. And so our goal was was to try and be up somewhere between five and ten points in the first four minutes of the game. And so we treated the first four minutes of the game like it was the game. The outcome of the game is determined by the first four minutes. If we win the first four minutes, game's over, we won. That's how we treated that four minutes. So so what would you guys do during those first four minutes? We played so hard, so fast. Our defense was so intense. It was the game is on the line right now. The way that you know, a, a team might dig really, really deep to finish out a game that's down to the wire and you have to win. That's how we treated the, the first four minutes of every single game. Now, after that TV timeout was over, literally almost every single game of my career, we were up somewhere between 5, 10, sometimes even 15 points just in the first four minutes of the game. Now you've got another four minutes to do the same thing. And we tried to, we tried to start over score zero zero mentally coming out of that timeout to try and do it again. And if you can, it's like, boom, you're up 15, 20 points to start the game. You've kind of taken the spirit out of most teams at that point. I'm not saying like, okay, now we could take it easy. There were a lot of games we won by, by 30, 40, 50 points where you're just fighting tooth and nail to keep driving, to keep driving your lead up more and more. But if, if you're not performing like that, you're not prepared for the you know the top ten and the top twenty five and some some of those games that you have later on down the road, if you're not trying to drive up the score as much as you can and optimize every single minute of the game, you're not doing yourself justice to prepare for those big ones. Would you guys just be completely exhausted after the first four minutes or after the first eight minutes? I mean, we train so hard and practice so hard. A game is usually two hours. But, you know, if there's if there's fouls or if it goes to overtime, you might play a two and a half hour game. And so but you you go much longer than that and you have to start pacing yourself. Right. You have to start slowing down in the way that you're training because you can only keep a pace for so long. And it really the 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 intensity and the tempo that we played at in practice, you really can only hold it for about two, two and a half hours before guys start getting injured. You, you do this every single day. You do this day in and day out, right? And then even after that, you're, you're typically going and lifting weights in the weight room or getting shots up. And so, uh, but that's not putting the same stress and pressure on your body where you're, you know, you're going to get injured. And so you're used to it, right? Like this is actually an easier day. This is almost like a day off compared to your normal day. Yeah. Game, game days were the best. Well, and the reason I wanted to ask that is because I think that oftentimes reps focus too much on pacing themselves. They don't want to like go too hard because then they might get tired, they might get gassed, or they might get burnt. I just don't believe in that. I don't I do believe in pacing yourself 100%, but very rarely are we able to just perfectly predict how much gas we have in our tank, right? And almost all the time we're left with extra. So, the reason I ask that is because you sprint for those first 4 minutes and you get you get a lot of wins, okay? You guys have a very controlled manner of just trying to get out and win early. You're not necessarily getting a feel for it. You're not getting this light warm-up jog. You're not being out there and participating. Like, you guys are trying to win the whole game in the first four minutes. And I think oftentimes reps, they want one or two. Like, if they could get, if they could get two sets a day or, you know two installs a week, like whatever that is, they would be happy. If that's what you're wanting, dude, go win the game in the first four minutes. A a college basketball game is 40 minutes. And so within the first 10%, you guys win. And then in the second 20%, like the next four minutes, you guys win. And so on the top of every single hour, yeah, it's, it's important to have that quick little reset, but it's not like a reset in the sense of like, calming down, but it's actually like a reset in the sense of, I need to go win these next four minutes. I need to go win this next hour because I love what you're saying about breaking it up into smaller chunks. And I think that winning early is oftentimes what causes you to win at the end of the day. And so often reps get on the doors late or so often reps kind of lackadaisically start their day when it's like, dude, focus up. If you're actually trying to get a set, 
within your first 15, 20, 30 minutes on the doors, you're just getting way more out of it. You're not dinking around at the gym, but you're actually being intentional about it. Yeah, you're literally, like, like I mentioned earlier, you're, you're literally perceiving and experience, experiencing time differently. One of the things that I wanted to point out, because the, the, one of the main reasons that we pace ourselves is because we don't want to burn ourselves out, right? And this is interesting. It's fascinating. But when your muscles hit muscle failure, there's very few things that you can do to overcome muscle failure. If you lift and you work out and you're in the gym and you hit muscle failure, there's really only one thing that I'm aware of that can help you overcome that muscle failure. And this is, um, it's a dopamine hit. Dopamine will literally re-trigger your body to turn back on when your muscles are trying to tell your brain, like, I have nothing left to give. I'm not going to keep working for you because I'm trying to prevent damage. I'm trying to prevent tear. A dopamine hit to your brain can tell your body, like, nope, you got to turn back on, right? It triggers it triggers to your body kind of like almost like a fight or flight response where it's like, nope, I need more from you. I know you don't want to give me more right now and you're trying to protect me, but I'm now taking over because I'm trying to protect you. And, and you know, when you win the first four minutes of the game, sure, to to go out and play and practice that hard, if there wasn't something that mattered to you, like winning the game on the line, you're just doing a workout in the mud, in the rain, that hard, and it doesn't mean anything to you, your body will hit muscle failure that fast. But because the game means so much to you and winning this game means so much to you, and it's, and it's a passion of yours, now you're getting flooded with dopamine and you're getting flooded with adrenaline and where you're where in a, in a different circumstance where it doesn't matter to you, your body's shutting down here. Your body's literally finding another gear and becoming even more alive. Right. And that's where it's contagious and it's contagious to yourself and it can even be contagious to your teammates. And that's why we're all drawn to winning programs and to good leadership because we, we inherently kind of understand and sense that that's what can be offered to us from these people and from these organizations. Yeah. Chris, last question before we go. What do you think separates a great rep from a goat rep? Well, uh, a great rep has, has commitments that they make to themselves and they keep their commitments. I think a, a goat rep is trying to build a legacy, right? So a great rep, they, they set great goals for themselves and they make great commitments to themselves. And a goat rep looks around them and says, I'm going to take the top five or the top 10 performers in this industry. And I don't care what they're doing or how far out of reach it is for me. I'm going to beat them. I don't, it doesn't matter how long it takes me. It doesn't matter if they, if they're aware of it or they're not, they find their villain, they put a chip on their shoulder and they become obsessive about, about beating, beating and being the best of the best. What do, what do goat reps do different? Uh, gosh, on a, on a micro level, a lot of things on a micro level, a lot of things you mentioned, you don't work out in the summer. There's a lot of great reps that work out in the summer for you. If you have your eye on something, you're going to do it. It doesn't matter how long it takes, right? There's no, there's no contingencies. Um, so a lot of reps, most reps and, and often very good reps, they have a start date and an end date. And whatever happens during that, that period of time, the start to the end date, they're willing to accept. But somebody like you, you're like, I'm going to install 130 solar accounts as a rookie solar closer. I don't care if it takes me till December 25th, right? And I could see you and Beth on the phone crying like, babe, it's Christmas tomorrow. I need one more. <laughs> yeah, that would be terrible. But I mean, I, I would have done it. I just want to highlight the no contingencies, okay? no contingencies, goat reps commit, but it's not, but they don't renegotiate it. They don't have these contingencies, like things that they can all of a sudden cop out or change their mind on. I guess, Chris, only people who have performed at the highest level. And I'm asking you because you have performed at the highest level, um, in sports and in sales, what are those one or two things that people just won't understand unless they've been at that level? So something that I think is really hard for a lot of people to relate to and understand is if you're going to compete at a level that no one else is, 
is willing to compete at, it almost has to mean more to you than your life does. And I know that that sounds crazy, but you're, if you're in a competitive world, you're competing against crazy people, right? You're competing against truly and realistically irrational people, their behavior, their effort, the things that they're doing is not necessarily rational. I'll tell a couple quick stories. Everybody knows David Goggins, the guy's running on broken feet and broken legs and just tapes him up and keeps running. That is irrational. But look at what it's done for his career. Look at what it's done for his income. Look at what it's done for his life. And look at the culture that the, the, the very contagious culture that he's spread as a result of doing something that is irrational. It meant more to him than literally his life. A lot of the runs that he did, he had a hole in his heart. He risked his life for some of these runs, right? Well, it, he realized that by being willing to give his life, he was actually creating his life. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because he understood by succeeding at this, I will succeed at the next thing and it will set me up for the next thing and the next success. Most of us were only willing to fight so hard for something. I actually have a, a story. Current BYU basketball head coach, Mark Pope, played in the NBA. Um, I believe he was drafted by the New York Knicks. And he told me this story. I was doing a workout with him back when I was playing overseas. And uh, and I was training with with some of the BYU guys. And, and Coach Pope had me involved in this workout. And he told his story. He was doing a, one of his final workouts with the New York Knicks before the draft, before teams had to start selecting players and putting together their rosters and putting together their summer league teams, all that kind of stuff. He's working out with the Knicks, and there's another guy there, and this guy was about his same height, but he's like, I don't remember the name of the player, but he's like, he was more athletic than me. He's more talented than me. He had a better college career. And the two of us are, are in this workout, and we know we're competing for this spot, and it's just him versus me. At the beginning, it's like they're, they're competing, and it's, and it's basketball. But before you know it, they're hitting each other with elbows, just trying to figure out who's weaker, who's, who's going to break down first, who's going to bow out of this workout, because the team's probably going to want the guy that's got more heart, more resilience, more toughness. And they're, they're hitting each other with elbows in the face. They both got bloody noses. And it gets to a point where it's like a boxing match almost is kind of the way that Coach Pope described it, where they're still doing drills and they're still playing one-on-one -on -one and they're still competing. There's, there's coaches, there's a full coaching staff there organizing this workout. And these two guys are just beating each other up. Both of them are bloody, bloody noses, bloody faces. And there was enough blood that apparently the coach, the head coach is like, all right, guys, we got to call it. We got to call it. This is just, this is, too, this is too much. This is too aggressive. We're just fighting at this point. And Mark looked at the coach and he smiled. He's like, coach, man, I thought we we're in New York. We can handle a little blood. Let's keep going. Mark got the job, right? The Knicks picked him up because he, he, he wasn't defeated. He's like, coach, I'll take a beating for you and I won't stop. And not only will I not stop, I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to still be, I'm going to still be full of charisma and charm. I'm, I'm not going to become, I'm not going to go through this fight and then all of a sudden be desperate. I'm not going to go through this fight and then become a cancer and have a negative attitude. You know, it's like, I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to go to battle for you and I'm going to hold the locker room together and I'm, and I'm going to be a positive influence no matter what, what kind of battle we're going through. Right? Like his character, his character came through and you look back and it's like, you don't, you don't have to be the most talented. You don't. You just got to be the most resilient, the most determined, and you have to have a, a, a destination. You have to have something in your mind that you're fighting for that nothing's, there's no contingencies. Nothing's going to stop you. No contingencies. Just go make it happen. Yes, this job can be hard, but I promise this job can also be a lot of fun. And the more you put into it, the more you get out of it, not just financially, but also just in how you are as a person and your happiness level. So thank you guys for, for tuning in and I'll see you again on Monday. Feel free to like and share the video. I love hearing from the video. Um, I love hearing from, from people who listen. I love feedback and if there's any topics you want me to, to hit on, shoot me a, a DM 
on Instagram. My handle is Andy the Solar Guy. Pretty dang easy. Anyways, Chris, thanks so much for for hopping on. If people want to follow more of your story, how can they find you? Million per mile on Instagram or come sell Adaptive Solar. Million per mile on Instagram. Anyways, thanks so much, guys. See you on Monday. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now my old.